Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hi, everyone. It is Thursday, June 3rd, and I'm currently looking out the window, and it's a really beautiful sight. There's a giant, giant tree that's probably 50 feet tall, a bunch of other smaller trees, big flower bushes, everything is blooming. I'm inside, but whenever I step outside, it smells so good. It is officially springtime, almost summer here in Canada. I am in a town called Victoria where my husband is from and we have a house here now, which is so exciting. We're going to be spending, fingers crossed, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four months a year here while also keeping our primary residence in New York City. To me, this place feels like the perfect balance to life in New York, which is so stimulating and exciting and creative and energizing. But here where I'm surrounded in nature and the pace is so much slower, it feels like I can actually think and I can think more clearly. I can think for myself as well. I actually think I talked about this in an episode almost a year ago. I think it was called Get Away from the Crowd to Hear Your Own Voice. So anyway, if you're interested in that topic, feel free to go back into the archives. Here I am, and I'm just wrapping up my 14 days of quarantine. So whenever you come into Canada from the US, you have to do 14 days in quarantine. This marks my completion of the third quarantine that I've done in Canada. So I did one last year when COVID first started, and we came back to Canada I did one for the holidays when we came here for Christmas and New Year's. Now I'm doing one again. And I also did a quarantine when I got COVID in January. So I stayed in my bedroom and our master bathroom in our apartment in New York while my husband lived in the rest of the apartment and he would leave meals and water and snacks and books for me outside my door because I had COVID and Miraculously, somehow he did not have COVID. This is all to say that I guess I'm celebrating my completion of a year where I've spent eight weeks out of this past year in quarantine, which is pretty crazy. That's two months of my life in quarantine. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of used to it. That's not to say that there aren't days that I hated it and I really was feeling so antsy and had so much cabin fever, but it's over. Here we are. And honestly, it wasn't that bad because I also have been leaving the house (laughs) at night. So if you are from the Canadian government, I really hope you're not listening to this podcast. But basically, my husband and I have been going out at night so that we can run and cycle. My husband is training for a triathlon right now, and I've been tagging along with him. I'm actually a terrible, terrible, terrible swimmer, so I'm not engaging in the swimming portion of that. But I am going on all the runs with him and all the bike rides. And this episode is really about an insight that I've had recently because I've been actively doing this 
exercise training regimen now for about a month. And in the beginning, I was so bad at it. My internal dialogue in relation to me being so bad at exercise was so critical and so mean. What I'm really talking about is running. (laughs) So I really hadn't run in over a year when I started doing this training program with my husband. And it was pretty torturous. I remember the first run that we did together, which was almost exactly a month ago. All we had to do was run for 20 minutes, but it wasn't even all running. Essentially, it was a three-minute run and then a two-minute walk. Three-minute run, two-minute walk. And then you do that four times and you get to 20 minutes. Let me tell you, I could barely do the three-minute run portion of it. I was looking at my phone the entire time. And I remember thinking at minute two of each of those spurts, when is this going to be over? This is so hard. My lungs hurt so much. I'm so tired. That's how out of shape I was in terms of a cardio perspective. And part of this is because when I was doing all these fertility treatments, they said to really not exercise too hard. So I stopped doing any cardio And then it was winter before then, and I just wanted to be a little hermit and a little mole inside my apartment. And so these runs were so, so painful, and I felt like such a loser. We also started these workouts when we were on vacation in Miami, and we'd run along the boardwalk area. And of course, Miami is just filled with people who are just in sick, sick shape, and they would be running so fast past us, and I was just thinking oh my gosh, I don't even know how I'm ever going to get to this goal of, you know, being able to run for an hour straight. This is totally crazy. I kept doing that. And then according to the training program that we did, then you slowly start to increase the intervals where you're running and you start to decrease the amount of time where you're walking until finally, you know, you're running the entire time. In the beginning, it was so hard for me. And every time that Uh, ratio got increased to be harder. It just felt like that same pain all over again. And so imagine I'm running for 20 minutes, four or five times a week. And every single time I go out for a run, I have this crazy, critical, really mean internal dialogue. And it went like this. You're so bad at this. You're such a loser. You're so out of shape. Why can't you even run this? This is so hard. I'm so out of breath right now wow, this is terrible. I'm so bad. And then I would apologize to my husband who I'd be running with. And I'd just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm slowing you down. I'm so sorry. I'm holding you back. And then one day I thought to myself, what the hell? Why am I so mean to myself? If anything, I should be celebrating the fact that this is really hard because it's painful and it's not fun, but I'm going and I'm doing it anyway. And I should feel such pride and such accomplishment in my own body for supporting me, for going on this journey with me, for dealing with this new level of exercise it hasn't had in well over a year. And I decided in that moment that I would only talk to myself in the way I would speak to my best friend. So if I was going for a run with my best friend and she hadn't worked out in a while, and she was struggling, would I say, you're such a loser, why are you even doing this? You're terrible at this? I definitely wouldn't say that. That would 
probably make me the world's worst friend, (laughs) but I also would never even think that. I would be so proud of her. I would be in awe of her and I would feel so much empathy and so much inspiration from her that she was putting herself out there to push herself to a new level. So I started doing that and it really changed my whole experience with this exercise program. In fact, the harder the trainings were, the more I would give myself love and think, wow, you're amazing. You're really doing it. You are so resilient and you're so persistent. So I'd use these moments of exercise where I wouldn't even listen to music. So at first I was listening to music and I was also listening to Nike Run Club, which has these amazing motivational speeches that you can listen to while you're running. But I just started doing it for myself. And I would think, wow, I'm so proud of you. You're so strong. Look at your body go. So long story short, here we are a month later. Yesterday, I went on a 40 minute run and I didn't stop. I mean, it was a really, really slow run, but I'm really proud of myself to go from not being able to run for three minutes to being able to run for 40 minutes in a month. is kind of amazing. And now I am looking forward to running every day. Also, I'm looking forward to when it's hard because it's the chance for me to give myself some love and some TLC and to tell myself that what I'm doing is incredible and amazing. So that's been my big lesson. We are so hard on ourselves when things are uncomfortable. And if anything, we need to be doing the opposite. We need to double down on loving ourselves more. And I thought back to all the times when that internal critical voice held me back from actually becoming good at something. So here's an example. I really wanted to work more with my hands a couple years ago. So I went and took an entry-level pottery class so I could learn how to make bowls and ceramics. I was so bad at it. I was in this class of 12 people and everyone else was creating bowls already. And I would get to the point where I think, oh, my bowl is so perfect. And suddenly it would spring a hole or it would totally fall over on the pottery wheel. I really enjoyed that day. It was really fun. At the end of it, I actually made something that I liked But that feeling of being, quote unquote, the worst one in the class was just enough for me to never want to go and take a pottery class ever again. And here's another example. In 2013, I think, I got certified as a yoga teacher. And I had done this training in a style of yoga called Ashtanga Yoga. With Ashtanga, you don't really learn sequencing because you do the same set of postures every single time. For those of you who know Bikram yoga, it's very similar to that where you go to the class and you do the same, you know, around 30 postures every single time that you go. And so you don't learn about sequencing and you don't really learn how to put together a class because you're doing the same set of movements every single class. And when I got back to New York to start trying to teach yoga, sequencing was really hard for me. I didn't really know how to put a class together, you know, how to build up to the hard postures and then how to cool down. I didn't really know how to warm up. And so my classes always started as too hard. I started going around to see if I could teach yoga classes part-time because I was working in the tech world already then. 
and I wound up getting a gig doing a couple of classes subbing at a studio near me. And I was so bad at those classes that I kind of just gave up and I kept going to yoga, but the discomfort that I felt from being so new and so uncomfortable and unnatural at leading a class prevented me from ever getting over that hump of discomfort to take my skills further. And what I realized from this experience of running this month is that there's always, always, always a period of discomfort that occurs initially that's really hard and it feels incredibly uncomfortable, but that it actually goes away pretty soon. But most of us, because that initial period of discomfort is so strong and it's so unsettling that we never push through it. And for me, with running, that initial hump of discomfort lasted, I don't know, maybe three weeks. I think I just got into this new feeling of loving running and not dreading the runs. I only really got over it and was able to keep plowing forward because I had an accountability partner in my husband who was doing these runs with me. And we had a you know set amount of exercise that we had to do every week and a program that essentially builds up to this triathlon, which is in five weeks from now. We were working with this virtual trainer to build these running programs for us. And so there wasn't really optionality or choice. Every day we looked at the app, saw what it is that we had to do, and then we went out and did it. I didn't have the option to back out and I didn't have the option to quit. And I also had someone alongside me who was also going through the same thing (laughs) and could normalize it for me. And so that's what I want to do here for you. I want to normalize it for you. So if you are currently starting something new, if you're currently doing something that's a little bit beyond what you feel is your area of comfort, it feels really hard and it feels like you suck at it. I just want to tell you, keep going. You can absolutely, absolutely, absolutely get better and you will, and it'll actually happen really soon. All you have to do is hit escape velocity. That is the image that I have. You know, when rockets launch from the earth, then it's really, really hard for them at first. They have to use all this fuel and all this energy to break through the pull of gravity, the Earth's gravitational pull. But then finally, when it breaks free, then that shuttle doesn't need all those rockets anymore. It can just let them drop because it's hit what's called escape velocity. And that is exactly the idea of what I'm talking about today, which is that when you are feeling like you're imperfect at something, when you're feeling like you're really bad at it, know that that is completely normal. And what you're doing is so extraordinary because you are pushing your comfort zone and you're pushing your abilities to their fullest potential. Don't worry, keep going because sooner rather than later and sooner than you can even imagine, you're going to hit your escape velocity. I cannot believe that I went from huffing and puffing for running three minutes a month ago to now feeling really strong and really clear and full of breath when I'm running for 40 minutes. If you would have asked me even two weeks ago, I would have said, I can't imagine ever being in a place where I can run for 40 minutes and feel really good. And this whole idea of embracing when you're feeling imperfect and embracing when you're struggling and doubling down and giving yourself so much pride and so much love, 
that has spilled over into my work as well. As you guys know, I work for myself. I am the founder of Reset. I spend most of my time executive coaching. That is me working one-on-one with really amazing founders who at this point I've gotten to know super well, and we have a great relationship, great rapport. So I never really feel nervous when I go into a coaching session because I just know my clients so well. And I also don't really ever feel nervous when I go into a business development session where I'm essentially pitching a potential new client on working with me. I think because I've just done so many of them at this point, I did feel nervous initially. I even felt nervous even six months ago when I was doing these meetings. But now because I have a good roster of clients and I don't really feel like I need to bring on more or that I'm really thirsty to bring on more clients. I think I have a confidence where it doesn't really rattle me at all when I go into these BizDev meetings. Recently, I launched a new initiative with a client. This is a pretty large initiative. It involves a lot of stakeholders. It involves a lot of money and it involves me building all new frameworks and all new coaching processes that I've never built before. This is a whole new thing that I'm creating. And while I was doing it, I felt this sense of insecurity and the sense of self-doubt and the sense of not being good at what I was doing that has been really foreign for a while. So I haven't felt those butterflies in my stomach for a while. And man, did I ever want to just crawl into a hole and not get up and do my work. I really could have let this self-doubt and this feeling sabotage me. I mean, it could have been like a way worse version of me trying to learn pottery where I gave up after one class because I was the worst person in the class. I could have let myself miss out on this amazing client and this amazing set of work because I was letting myself succumb to the discomfort of growing outside of my comfort zone. I never would have reached my escape velocity. Am I there with this project? Definitely not. I think it'll take probably a couple more months until I feel really confident in what I'm doing. I'll need a couple more reps and some feedback that shows that indeed what I've created is working and it's good. Quite there. I haven't quite hit escape velocity yet, but I'm just doubling down on giving myself a lot of love. And I'm saying, you know, Liz, what you're doing is new. You are not supposed to be good at it right away. What you're doing is unique. So you're not supposed to have it all figured out right now. And what you're doing is growing your strengths and abilities. So of course you're not supposed to be the best at it right now. If we only ever do the things that we're the best at, then we never grow. We don't learn from being the best. We learn from the moments where we fail And that is the mindset that I'm trying to keep myself into right now. And in fact, it's actually kind of the mindset that I want to live in forever. I want to seek out opportunities to be a novice. I want to chase after situations where I'm not the best and where I have a lot of learning and growing to do because that's actually where I will evolve as a person. But this is a really big shift for me. I have always liked being perfect at things. I mean, I think I'm not unusual in that way. I'm sure we all like being good at things and being perfect at things. But I think back to how I was raised, where my mom was not very attentive at all. She never was home that much. She didn't really like 
spending time with my brother and I, the moments when she would shine her sun and her radiance on us were when we were doing well. It was when my brother would win an art contest or when I would win a writing contest. When I was eight, I got selected for this TV show called President Clinton Answers Children's Questions. It was kind of cool because they only took one kid from every state in the country. So there are 50 kids and they all got to go to the White House and spend time with President Clinton. They got to meet his cat and his daughter and his wife. And then they taped us on a TV show where the 50 of us would raise our hands and we would get to ask him any questions that we wanted. It was pretty amazing. I don't actually even know how or why I was chosen for it. I think maybe a teacher nominated me and I went through an audition process. My mom loved it. She talked about it so much. She talked about it for years. The only picture that is up hanging in my house, my mom's house of me is of me, her and President Clinton. And she told all of her friends about it. She told everyone about it. She couldn't stop talking about it for so long. And then even as I grew up, it was the same thing where she would only want to talk about what was going on with me so that she could brag to her friends about it. And we had a real breaking point when I was in college because I remember coming home and she was bragging to her friends about how I was on a full scholarship at my college and I'd gone into this great school. And I was so mad at her because it wasn't true. I hadn't gotten a full scholarship I was working my butt off to have a second job, right? To be a full-time job in school, but then to also be waiting tables and to be really struggling to pay for books and to pay my rent and to make ends meet. So when she would brag to her friends about how I was on a full scholarship, it really felt to me like she was discounting how hard I was working and how much I was struggling financially. It was really, really challenging and really, really tough for me. So it was growing up with a mother who prioritized the image of perfection over all else, even over reality and even over care for her daughter, that I inherited this same pressure that I put on myself where subconsciously I believed that I wasn't worth anything unless I was perfect. And for many years, I would go to yoga classes and I would look around and if I weren't the best student in the class, if I wasn't the most flexible and the strongest and able to do all the moves, I would leave the class feeling so upset with myself. Or at work, if I was in a meeting and I wasn't the star of that meeting, if I wasn't the best one on my team, if I didn't always knock it out of the park, and if I wasn't burning the midnight oil and getting kudos from everyone for working the hardest and being on email the most, then I would just feel like I wasn't worth it. And somehow along the way, I developed this idea that unless I was the best, I wasn't lovable and I wasn't good enough which is really sad because we need to be celebrating the opposite of that. We need to be celebrating people when they are imperfect. We need to be celebrating people when they are failing because what it means is that they're taking a risk and they are pushing themselves to transform. And I really hate that within our culture, we don't have this celebration of imperfection. We give all these awards to 30 under 30, 40 under 40, 
New York Times bestsellers who made it at such a young age, the person who's never lost a race in their life, or the person who's never been fired from a job. But really, the failures are where we learn and the failures are where our character is created. So let's all take a cue from Finland, the country, and celebrate our imperfections and celebrate our failures. They actually have a national day of failure, which was started about 10 years ago, which I think is so fun and so cool. So essentially, within the Finnish culture, there's been this desire and this pressure to be really successful all the time. So in 2010, a bunch of Finnish university students decided to start this quote-unquote day for failure. And their reasoning was that Finland would be needing thousands of new businesses and jobs in the future, but this natural cultural fear of inadequacy was holding so many young people back from founding the businesses of the future, pursuing the jobs of the future. And by the second year, this resonated with people so much that the day for failure got a ton of publicity. So there are really big big names in Finnish society that decided to get behind this, like, you know, the chair of, of Nokia's board of directors, the creator of Angry Birds, the coach of the men's ice hockey team, and then all these artists, media people, politicians have been supporting it and sharing their own stories of imperfection on the website for the day of failure and also on social media. And this day was so important for the Finns because they needed to dedicate a day to screwing up because screwing up and being imperfect and failing was so frowned upon in Finnish society. But as we all know, to succeed, you need people who aren't afraid to feel inadequate sometimes and who aren't afraid to try new things. I love this quote from Albert Einstein who said, a person who never made a mistake, never tried anything new. And the way I think about it is the perfect person or the person who appears to be perfect all the time is not pushing themselves. And it is really the imperfect person who is our hero. That is the person who's not afraid to fail. So the Finns have all these suggestions for what you can do for the day of failure. And I wanted to read those to you guys right now to encourage you to incorporate these into your day-to-day lives as well. One, read up on the personal setbacks of your idols and the people you admire. I love doing that. I have a whole running list of different companies that had huge setbacks and were hugely imperfect in the beginning, but then wound up turning it around through persistence and learning. Number two, try a difficult recipe even if the food gets burnt. I actually don't need to try to do that. That actually happens to me most of the time when I cook. Number three, share your failure stories on Instagram or other social media. Three, or rather four, blow money on something unnecessary or something you've been wanting for a long time. That one's really funny. I kind of love that one. Number five, ask someone out on a date without fear of rejection. Apply for some jobs that seem to be out of your reach without fear of rejection. And then the last one, think about how you can learn from your flops and reframe them as successes. And I've been loving this activity of reframing. 
So whenever I have a thought in my mind about how I need to be perfect or how I need to be better, I try to reframe that into gratitude for where I am and pride for where I am in the moment. So for instance, if I'm running and it's really hard and I think, wow, I'm so bad at this. I'm not strong. I'm so unathletic. And I think, wow, I am so strong for getting up and running today. I'm so proud of myself for pushing to put my running shoes on and to get out here and do this, even though it is uncomfortable. I am so remarkable for pushing through the discomfort. So how can you reframe that internal critical voice that demands perfection? How can you actually turn that critical voice into embracing imperfection, into loving yourself? That's what I'm doing this month. I'd love to hear from you guys how you're doing it as well. And thank you so much for the amazing responses to the last podcast. I really love hearing how my three-month absence was okay and how you resonated with the topic, which is that timelines are completely bullshit and useless. I'm glad you guys also feel the same way. And I'm so happy to be back recording with you. Thank you for listening. I hope you are completely imperfect today and I hope you embrace all those imperfections. Of course, as we always say, remember to listen to yourself, to love yourself, and to say yes to life so that life can say yes to you. See you next week.